Amen. Thank you, Shelley. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 tonight, please, if we can. Genesis chapter number 12. And thanks for being in God's house, the church house tonight. And thanks for being faithful. Of course, Pastor is on vacation. I'm looking forward to our, like Brother Jim said this morning, he has us up here so that you'll be appreciative of his preaching when he, when he comes back, right? And so, uh, but we're... Um, hard to believe our anniversary Sunday, which is coming up the last Sunday of, the, uh, of August. Hard to believe August is here in just a couple days. Uh, but uh, 35 years, 35 years uh, since Pastor Myers, uh, my dad, and a couple others started Pacific Baptist Church. And thank God for God's goodness and also thank God for faithful men who plotted the way so that we can have what we have here tonight. And by the way, 35 years from now, talk a little bit about that tonight. Uh, God willing, there will be people that look back and say, 35 years ago, there were some faithful people that plotted the way so that I can be here tonight. And so I'm looking forward to that. Now, uh, along those lines, we'll talk a little bit about this after uh, the service. But uh, it's hard to believe Pastor Myers has, has been uh, this, this anniversary service. I believe it'll be 10 years, 10 years uh, that he, he, he officially stepped in and, and started filling the role of pastor here. By the way, thank God for Pastor Myers. And thank God for his willingness. And there are some sacrifices that a couple people know that some of you will never know on this side of eternity that Pastor has made uh, to keep things going forward uh, from the time he stepped in until now. And so I hope that uh, during that time we can honor him a little bit. And, but thank God for him. And I hope that we pray that he is safe. They have a great time with their family these couple weeks uh, there. Brother Jim, thank you for the message this morning. And uh, y'all can tell, you can tell when somebody uh, preaches a message that they've lived, right? A little, it's a little more heartfelt. And that last point there, you can tell, that's something that Brother Jim lived, and so he was able to communicate that, not just from the head, but also from the heart. And so thank you, Brother Jim. Good. It was an encouragement to me, and I'm sure many of us. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at a lot of scripture here tonight. So go ahead and keep your Bibles open uh, to the book of Genesis, if you would. We'll look uh, probably 12 uh, to uh, uh, probably chapter 20, 21, depending how far we got. Uh, if there were only two topics that I could preach to Christians on, I'm not talking about preaching the gospel, I'm talking about preaching to God's people. If there were only two topics that I could preach, they would probably be these. The first one would be on eternity. On eternity. The second one, which we're going to talk about tonight, and by the way, setting our affections on things above, the second one that I would preach on, talk about, is living with a multi-generational mindset. You say, why is that? Well, here's the concept, and I hope we get this. We are all going to, our lives on this earth are all going to end one day. God already knows. He sees the date on our tombstone before it even happens. One day, my life on this earth is going to come to an end. All that I will have to show in this world when I go is what I left to the next generation. All that I will have to greet me in the next world is what I sent ahead. Let me say that again. All that I have when I die to show in this world will be what I pass to the next generation and left behind to them. And all that will be there to greet me when I enter the portals of heaven will be what I invested in eternity. 
You say, well, how about soul winning and walking with God and all that and prayer? Well, I believe that if we live with eternity in front of us in mind and with the next generation behind us in mind, I think it will cause us to pray. I think it will cause us to get into God's word. I think it will cause us not to live for the temporal, frivolous, fleshly things that will not matter a hundred and a thousand years from now. Why? Because we're living for those that we'll leave behind and we're living for what will receive us when we get to heaven. A multi-generational vision for those behind us and eternity for what lies in front of us. We had a, uh, and by the way, we'll talk a little bit about multi-generational vision tonight from Genesis chapter 12. You say, I remember a year and a half ago you preached from Genesis chapter 12 on a multi-generational vision. You're right. And I didn't even look at that sermon. So if I repeat a point, I went straight to the Bible and I didn't even pull out the old sermons and listen to an old one. But uh, we had a class activity recently and in our Sunday school class, we had, we had 39 kids at that activity. 39. That's just our Sunday school class. By the way, I love that. That's awesome. You know what that shows? It shows a, a healthy church. That shows a church that has a future. That shows a church that has potential for decades to come. But multi-generational living is not just a concept for the home, for us with young kids. It's a concept for our church. You might say, well... I'm a little bit older, and, and my kids are maybe grown, or maybe my kids are out of the house, or maybe I have a wayward child. By the way, it's for our church as well. And, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me say this. Stay faithful because you, wanna, you want a bright, salty church in case your kids want to come back someday. And by the way, even if you're older, you're a part of that vision. You say, I'm a single, and I don't have a family yet. You know the best time to learn about family and marriage and motherhood and fatherhood isn't when uh, your 13-year-old looks at you cross-eyed because he didn't like what you said. No, it's right now, right now. I want to encourage you young people, uh, get a hold of the principles that you hear preached behind these pul this pulpit for men of God that stand behind here and start putting them in the back of your filing cabinet of your heart so that you're prepared when that time comes. Uh, you say, well, my children are older now. I'm not in the correcting stage. Well, uh, my, we are. We probably, Jen, I don't know, two and a half. I mentioned it, two and a half, three and a half weeks. Sometime we're going to have uh, number, number six. And so we are from uh, bottles all the way up to teenage, the, the youth group now. And so it's that, uh, Brother Dan wrote a really good article, uh, if some of you saw it, on different stages of, of child rearing. Speaking of multi-generational vision, and, uh, and let me say this. I'll just recap it real quick. He said the younger years are for correction. Brother Chris, that's where you are right now. How old is Canaan? Four. I didn't realize he was that old. Wow, time flies. I'm getting older. All right, okay, four. And you are on your, almost four. Okay, and you're on your second one coming up when? That's a lot of spankings during that time, uh, during that time period, right? It's correction. Correcting, 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 correcting. Then you get to the teen years, and you've got context. This is from Dan. This is not original. And, and, and you've got correction during the younger years. You've got context during those teen years. By the way, if you have teenagers, don't just let them run off. You should be providing context. This is what we believe, but this is also why we believe it, right? Because they have to, one day, they, they've got to make mom and dad's beliefs theirs, right? Because they're not going to be in our home anymore. They have their own home. But then when they become adults... And, and I think, I'm saying this because some of us might have adults in the home. And you might think, well, this isn't for me. I'm past this stage. No, this is most definitely for all of us. Uh, if you have adults, I think one of the biggest American 
culture influences that's messed up our homes is this philosophy that once they turn 18, I'm hands off. I don't know if there's been as much uh, heartache and pitfalls and scars because that philosophy, which by the way is an unbiblical philosophy, has crept into our homes. Now, that's an old, I, I get it, the greatest generation, and that's what they did. They all ran off to war. I get that. That's American. That's not, cult. That's not Christian. I, yeah, that's not popular, is it? Got quiet. Um, it's not. Look, look at the men in the Bible. Look at the families in the Bible. Look at the homes in the Bible. They served and worked and were trained and tutored and cared for. And during the, uh, the adult years, we said there's correction, then there's context, then there's coaching. It's not, well, you're 18, figure it out. No, no, sir. In this day and age, if any other time, they ain't just going to figure it out. They need some people that got some gray hair, that got some wisdom, that have lived life, that can coach them to help them make life's decisions. Man, from 18 to 25, they're going to make the biggest decisions of their lives. Don't let them do it alone. Coach them, coach them, coach them. And so you got correction, you got context, you got uh, coaching. And so hey, if you have kids in the home, even if they're 22, 24, 26, I'm glad that my dad, all the way through our, our, our home, uh, as long as we were there, he was giving us coaching. And sometimes he had to pull back on the reins and it was good for us. I didn't like that bridle in my mouth. Sometimes like the horse, I went back and forth a couple times. It was good for us. And so correction. If we got nothing else tonight, uh, I, th- I think that would have been helpful for us. You say, what's multi-generational living? Here it is. Multi-generational living is evaluating our lives, decisions, and all that we do in light of not just how they affect today, but how they affect the next generation and generations after us. Multi-generational living causes me not just to make decisions by how it affects me today. There are some things that we can do in our home and in our church that might yield some fruit today. But it will destroy the orchard, it will destroy the vineyard in the next season. Does that make sense? I, there's, I mean, I can go off, there's a lot of them. I think of maybe contemporary Christian music. Pastor preached a good message on why he likes to listen to rock music last week, right? Now, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. But the, the, the staff, sometimes we have a feed, and uh, sometimes we have our, our watches, and we're texting. I wonder what he's going to call it. What's Brother Jeremy going to name this one? You know, probably get a lot of views. I can, you know, Pastor did his little dance up here. I can imagine that going viral on TikTok. Right? We had a field day with that. But contemporary Christian music. I could probably, and by the way, some of that stuff, it appeals to the flesh. We like that stuff, right? Don't, don't look at me with a halo on. Come on now. Um, no, you just like the secular stuff. Okay, thank you. Uh, we can listen to that. By the way, my wife and I could probably listen to that in the car on the way to church. We can probably listen to that in our home. And we're probably going to be okay. I think so. Maybe. I hope so. But we've seen time and time and time and time again, when you allow the kids and the teenagers to get a taste for that kind of music, they develop sensual and worldly appetites And before you know it, they're probably not going to hang on to this brand of Christianity. They're going to go to a worldly brand of Christianity. What's that going to do? Their children are probably not going to be in church 15, 20 years from now. That's sad. That's what multi-generational living is. We think, how are the decisions that I make today in my life, in my home, in the car, with our entertainment, here at the church, that how's that going to affect not just me today, but generations to come down the road? Abraham is a man, let's look, let's turn our attentions to Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is a man who 
Scripture gives us, God shows us in Scripture as an example of multi-generational living. God came down to him and God said, if you will do some things in your life, let me give a vision to you for 4,000 years from now. Now, some of us can't think uh, Dan was talking about a dollar for lunch. That, that must have been before inflation. Thanks, Dan. But, uh, you know, a lot of people cannot think past lunch. We can't think past the next swipe on the screen. God came down to Abraham. He gave him a vision that would not be fulfilled for 4,000 years. 4,000 years. But he caught it. And because he caught it, he was able to make a great difference in the world. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, an introduction, show us some precursors to multi-generational living. Let's get through the precursors quickly. I've got five of them. Then we can get into the bulk of the message. The introduction will be about as long as the message, and I am watching the time tonight. Let's look here. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says this. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, and I just want to stop there for a minute. Up until this point, we've got Genesis chapter 1 is about what? Talk to me. Creation, right? Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we see uh, man comes into uh, the equation. We see the fall, right? What happens after the fall? Major Bible events? The flood, right? So we've got creation, we've got the fall, We've got the flood. What's after the flood? Thank you. Wow. A scholar right here from our Christian school. That's an advertisement for Christian school right there. Yes, the Tower of Babel, right? So we've got creation. We've got the fall of man. We've got the flood. We've got the Tower of Babel. So the whole world is coming into play, coming into view here. And then God just drops us right into Genesis chapter 12. No context, no, pre, uh, no, no history lesson, just now God had said unto Abraham. And we see before God had talked to Abraham and Abraham responded. Let me tell you the first, uh, um, uh, if we're going to have a, uh, uh, before a multi-generational vision can be realized, you know, we're going to have to be sensitive to God's voice. Sensitive to God's voice. We're not going to have a multi-generational vision, parents. And by the way, as a church, if we're not spending time in this book, if we're not hearing from God, and I know there are so many voices out there that are calling for our attention. I won't do it tonight, but last, uh, a while ago we had that illustration where you have someone in the middle, and you've got five people yelling in their, their ear, and then you've got somebody over here trying to give them a message. They're not going to hear that message unless they step outside of those voices and listen for the still small voice. Let me ask, parents, how's your walk with God? How's your walk with God? There are so many voices that call for our attention today. If we're not hearing from God's voice, we will not have a multi-generational vision. I'm thankful for a wife. Uh, that I'm thankful that I have a, a wife that tries to walk with God. Uh, hesitant to say this, but I preached on Thursday, and I think it was Monday, Jen. I had already prepared that message uh, probably a month ago. And I went to my computer. This is horrible. This is every preacher's nightmare, Dan. <laughs> I went to my computer, and my brother Romero, my sermon was missing. It wasn't on my desktop. It wasn't in my Microsoft OneDrive. It wasn't in my Dropbox. It wasn't in all my folders. It was gone. Then you know what you do. You look at the recycle bin, right? You know what I'm talking about. You ever been there? And I went to, <laughs> I went to the recycle bin, and I looked. There's about three pictures, and there's one folder that says Christian Education Emphasis from Uncle Johnny. It's definitely not in there. And I said, man, I don't know what I'm going to do because the blanks are already printed in the book, but I don't have the preacher's version. This is not good. My wife, you know, like a, 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 
for, oh, Brother Johnny in class today, said, uh, my wife said, well, did you pray about it? And I had. She said, I'm going to pray about it. She said, I'm going to pray that you find it. I think you'll find it. And so she prayed. She prayed. And she calls me back a little later in the day, and she says, hey, did you check uh, on that folder? Did you check and, and, and see if it's there? And it just so happens, I have no idea. I went to the recycle bin. I restored a Christian education emphasis folder. I opened up the folder, and sure enough, my sermon for Thursday is in the most random folder. And she says something to the extent of, yeah, I had a feeling you would find it. Why was that? Because she had, she had prayed, and she had faith that the Lord was going to come through. Man, I'm talking, that's the kind of wife you want praying for your kids. That's the kind of father you want praying for your kids. Somebody that goes to God and says, God, we need your help right now, and I believe you're going to come through. If we're going to see the next generation make it for God, we're going to have to be sensitive to the voice of God. Number two, we're going to have to be separated from some things. He said, the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country. Leave your country and from thy kindred. Leave your family and from thy father's house. Leave daddy's home where there's comfort and convenience and all that. Leave it so that you can be what I want you to be. In order for Abraham to pursue multi-generational living, he had to separate from some things. By the way, it was worth it when he did. If he had not separated, we would have been singing, you know the song Father Abraham? We would have been singing Father Terra, but now we sing Father Abraham. His descendants would have been known as Amorites, but instead we know them as Israelites. He would have received a temporal inheritance from an earthly father, but instead his family received an eternal inheritance from an eternal and a spiritual father. You say, what's the point? The same is true for us. If we're going to pursue multi-generational living and get a vision from God, there may be some things we have to separate from. For Abraham, it was family. In our home, it might be some friends. It might be some philosophies that have permeated our life that are not godly philosophies. By the way, what about the philosophy of the American dream? That has, in many cases, become the American nightmare. Let me just get a nice house, a nice car, a couple kids, and let me arrive safely to death. God did not put his people on this earth, save us, give us all that he's given us so that we can arrive safely at death. He's done it so that we can invest in the next generation and in eternity and make a difference for him on this earth while we live. I'll move, turn your attention back there. So we said... First of all, he was sensitive to God's voice. Next, he separated from some things. Next, he submitted by faith. Submitted by faith. Look here. He says, to a land that I will show that he didn't know. Let me say this. Sometimes God's going to call us to do things, and it's going to take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. You know what takes faith? I, I, I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly how much. It takes faith to have our kids in a Christian school, right? It takes faith to tithe. It takes faith to do some of the things that God's called us to do. But if we're going to see multi-generational living, we're going to have to be able to step out by faith. You know, some, there are some people sitting in, in churches, probably our church, in churches across the country, and they will never do what God called them to do because they want to see every detail before it comes to fruition. That's not how God works. Sometimes God says, hey, go preach, and then he shows you how are you going to make, it, how are you going to make a living after that. If you have the idea that, oh, I want to, oh, I got to make sure I have an income. I was listening to my dad preach the other day. What's the package? What's the package? Abraham's package was you're going to live in a tent and you're going to be wandering for about 60 years. That's your package. But he made an eternal difference. Why? Because he was willing to follow God by faith. And I want to encourage us, when God calls us to do something, step out by faith. It'll be worth it. Next, he sought to be a blessing. Look here. He says, and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse number two. This is all introduction. Don't worry. The message is not going to be as long, I don't think. 
He sought to be a blessing. If God's going to preserve our church, and God's going to preserve our families for generations to come, it's not so that we can sit in a cozy, by the way, beautiful auditorium. It's not so we can have, I'm looking forward to it, I'm not 40 yet, but I'll probably play with the 40 and above. It's not so we can just have 40 and above. Amen, where's Brother Eugene? Where are we at? I saw him, basketball player, right? Oh, so he's somewhere around here, I saw him. Uh, Brother Miguel, um, you're not there yet. But it's not so we can just have 40 and above gym nights. It's not so we can sit in an air-conditioned auditorium when it's 85 or 95 degrees outside. God did not give us all that he's given us so we can sit back, be comfortable, and do nothing for him. When God blesses his people, our families, and our church, it's so that we can go out and be a blessing to many people in this city, in this state, in this country, and around the world. And by the way, we've seen it time and time again. You all remember the, the, the silent sermon my dad used to give? How many of you remember that? No? Man, it's been a while, hasn't it? I won't do the whole thing. Not supposed to talk, but the silent sermon, silent sermon is you go to God. God gives to us. We go. We give to someone else. You want to take it? I'll take it back. Thanks. What is it? God blesses us so we can bless others. If as a church, as an individual, as a family, if God blesses and we're not willing to in turn give out and give back, we might just find ourselves going to God as a church, as an individual Christian, or as a family and find that that well ran dry. And it's not because God's not good but because we failed to take the blessings that God gave us and use them to be a blessing in a lost and dying world. I'm going to skip number five for sake of time. That's all introduction. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. And so those are some prerequisites. If we are going to get a multi-generational vision, we see after this, a couple verses later, uh, verses seven to nine, that Abraham got the vision. He stepped out by faith and he pursued the vision. There's some things that he did in pursuit of that vision I'd like us to look at tonight Take about two minutes for points, I think, and we will move, all right? Here we go. First of all, if we are going to see a multi-generational vision realized, we've got to, this, is, this sounds profound, we've got to get a vision for the next generation. We've got to get a vision for the next generation. In verses 7 and 8, after the initial time, it says, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham, verse 7, same chapter, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He said, You see this land in front of you? He's going to tell him, Walk up and down in it. He goes, I want you to explore the land. I want you to look at the land. I want you to hike in the land. I want you to camp in the land. I want you to live in the land because one day I'm going to give this land to your family and to your seed after you. So then he, there he built it an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. When Abraham got a real, clear, crystal clear vision of what could be from God, it changed everything in his life and everything about him. Let me ask you tonight, what's the vision? What's the vision for your life? 
What's the vision for your kids? What's the vision for your home? What, what does it look like 5, 10, 15 years from now? Or are we just going through the motions and existing? Um, you, you know, you ever see those dream boards on Pinterest? What are they called? Someone help me. Come on, Matheny. I know you used to do Pinterest. Come on. What are they called? My dream closet. Is that it? Come on, help me out, dream catcher. That demonic stuff. Just kidding. Um, no, no, no. On Pinterest, they have this thing where you can, you know, you can pin all the clothes you want. And they call it. Is that, is that Pinterest? Boards. Okay, yeah. Yeah, my, my board, right? My dream board or whatever it is. You know, we'll go on Pinterest and any of the ladies are going to get married. And, and they'll have their, 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 their dream board, right? And it's the board, and they'll, they'll pin all the colors they want. And they'll pin the ring that they want. And that's a hint to the guys. Okay, guys, take the hint. Um, and if she's, if she's I shouldn't say. I watched on, uh, there's a TikTok. I don't have TikTok, but sometimes I'll get clips. And they went on the streets. Uh, what is proper for, uh, uh, what's proper for a man to spend on a ring? And the lowest one, she goes, oh, t- minimum 10 grand, 10 grand. Another one says, oh, 100 grand, of course, if I'm worth it. <laughs> Apparently you're not. No, never mind. Uh, man, guys, don't touch that with a 100-foot pole. Stay away from that junk, man. That's going to be pricey. That's a lot of overtime right there. Um, but, you know, we'll get on Pinterest and we'll build this dream board and we know exactly what we want our wedding to look like. We remodel our home. We know exactly what we want our home to look like. And we'll go to the tile guys, and they're working upstairs the past couple weeks. And we know exactly the layout we want and the color and everything set out. We know exactly what we want in these different areas. But when it comes to our kids, we're just existing, hoping that it all pans out. My dad used to say, it doesn't happen by osmosis. we got to do it intentionally. we got to do it on purpose. It only starts when we get a vision for what it can look like 5, 10, 15, and generations to come. I printed out... Uh, this, this is what would pop up on my dad's computer. I, my mom could correct me if I'm wrong. Almost every single day. Almost every day it would pop up. This was my dad's vision statement for our church, for our family, and, and, and every day. And I'll, I'll just read a couple of the notes here. He said, he said, we must wage a war about what we allow into our minds. Next, be crystal clear about your vision statement. Next, what do I want on my tombstone? Next, your vision and your values must match. You cannot say I'm living for eternity and then live for the temporal and think they're going to coexist. He said, put it on a poster board. And if you ever went to my dad's home office, he had places, he had maps where he wanted to plant churches in northwest Orange County, and he had a map of Southeast Asia, and he had Burma and Vietnam and Thailand and Laos and Cambodia, and he had pins there exactly where he, he wanted to see God do something. Um, next, anchor your vision so firm that it will seem like a reality. Make it emotional. Repetition is the key. Go through this process every day, at least 15 minutes. Next, writing goals is not enough. You must look at it emotionally. And he says, the real vision. And then he goes on to say, our church's goals, a multi-generational vision, an ancient Baptist church, reaching Jerusalem here in Long Beach, church planting in Judea and Samaria, um, uh, the uttermost, for the glory of God and all this stuff. And he gives some some practice. You say, what's the point there? Well, I I think God used that vision. My dad was as, as, as human as anybody. Um, but why, why do we have teams in Southeast Asia? Why were we able to plant churches? Why? I think because the vision was crystal clear and God used that. 
But that's going to have to be true in our homes as well. It's not going to happen by accident. You've got to get a vision. What is the vision for your sons? What's a vision for your sons? I hope it's to be godly men. Godly men. Well, once I identify what that vision is, if I want them to be a godly man, I'm going, I say, okay, that's the vision. I see that 10 years down the road. Well, then I'm going to have to teach them to hate sin if they're going to be a godly man. I'm going to have to teach them that sin will destroy your life. It'll pollute your soul. It'll mess up your future. It'll blow up your family. And I'm going to have to teach them to walk with God. Right? I'm going to have to teach them to value spiritual things. Well, you see what I'm saying here? You've got to see the, a picture of the vision, and then you can chart a path to get you to that vision. I want them to learn to be men that can say no to their flesh. And if they're going to say no to their flesh, then I'm going to have to teach them when they're two, Andrew, he, he's, he's not there yet. <laughs> he's not there yet. That if the Skittles are in the jar and the snack cabinet's right there and one of your siblings leave candy around, it's not free, it's not Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory at the house, eat whatever you want. No, sir, say no because it's not yours. You don't eat whatever you want that comes your way. Why? Because one day something's going to pop up on a screen and I want him to say no. Because I don't want him to pollute his soul. And I don't want him to pollute his mind. And I don't want him to live with those scars. And so where is it going to start? That's the vision for a pure heart, a pure mind, pure eyes someday, and a pure life that he can hand to his wife and his family. It starts with a vision right now when they're two. I want them to be kind to their wives. And so I don't let them be unkind to their sisters. I want them to follow God's will for their lives. So they have to understand that you being obedient to God... That training is you being obedient to mom and dad right now. Because if you cannot be obedient to your parents who you can see, how are you going to follow God who you cannot see? I want them to be men that love the ministry. So when I go home, I don't criticize the church. I don't criticize the standards. I don't criticize the policies. I don't criticize the preaching. I lift up the pastor. I lift up what we do around here. And I say the ministry is great. Why? Because I want them to love the ministry. Why? Because we got the vision of what can be and what we're doing day in and day out is trying to train them to get to that vision. I want my daughters to be, to aim to be and dream about being wives and mothers. And so I'm going to be careful about any philosophy, any affection that can pull them away from that. I want them to marry right, and I want them to keep their hearts pure. I want them to go down the, this aisle, well, if we remove the aisle. I think it costs more to do that, Jen, so we'll probably just have them go down the side aisle. Um, that was a joke. Thanks for catching it. Uh, I want them to walk down, and I want that white wedding dress to actually mean something that they gave themselves to their spouse pure. And so I'm going to be careful, and I'm going to teach them, hey, when you're 7 and 9 and 11 and 13 and the girls start talking about boy and girl stuff who they like just stay away from that stuff guard your heart guard your heart and by the way when they get older we're going to put standards in place when it comes to courtship by the way let's not get lax when it comes to that you know we save ourselves and we stay pure and then we start courting someone and we get lax so we have little Miha, four years old in the back seat as our chaperone come on now let's just be real we know what's going on after a while we ain't stupid and so you say, why do you say that? Can you give me a chapter and verse? Well, I can show you the vision, and I know what Pat's going to get to the vision because we've seen it time and time and time again. I'll, I want them to be keepers at home, and so uh, we, we, we try to train them with stuff around the house. I want them to be modest ladies. So I'm not going to desensitize them to modesty, not in the home and not out of the home. You say, oh, but they're, but they're young. Well, I think about the time they start walking is the time where they start to develop either a sense of modesty or not. Well, it's quiet on that one. 
You say, oh, but we're home. Yeah, but we're training them. What's the vision? If I have a vision for the future, it's going to change everything about me. It's going to change how I train. It's going to change how I believe. It's going to change the truth, the standards, all that I do in my home and out of my home. How about our church? How about a church that has not changed but still holds to the time and tested truths of God's word even after we're gone? Then we're going to have to not compromise the word of God right now. And I thank God for a pastor that does not compromise the word of God and preaches it how it is. How about a place where our children can still find an oasis from the world, no matter how dark it gets? Don't worry, I said I have nine points, I'm probably going to get to two. That's okay, okay? I'm watching the time, and, and, and I know where we're at. Let's move on here. By the way, how about a place where our children and grandchildren can find their spouse, be saved and baptized in this church, and follow God's will for their lives? How about a salty, bright Christ-glorifying, Christ-honoring church, not just during our lifetime, but for generations after it. And by the way, if that's going to happen, we're going to have to be salty and bright today. How about a place that continues to serve Long Beach and make an impact in this world? And I'm going to move on. What's on, your, what's on your dream board? What's on your vision board? Do you have one? If it looks like this, this might be what you get. If it looks like this, this might be what you get. I want to challenge us. Some of us used to have a dream. We used to have a vision. Let's get it back. Let's get it back. Number two. Number two. Take about five, ten more minutes. I'm going to wrap it up here. Number two. Uh, chapter number 14. We must. We said, number one, we must get a vision for the next generation. Number two, we must train those in our house. Number 14, 13 to 15, the Bible says this. 14, 13. And there, uh, there came one that had escaped and told Abraham the Hebrew. And you see, let's look at verse number 14. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. I want you to see that again. It says, he armed, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house. Why did Abraham's family make a difference? I'll tell you why. Because from the time those young ones were born... It's all about training and training and training and training and training. You know, our, our sons don't just wake up one day and be godly men. Our daughters don't just, don't just wake up one day and become virtuous women. It's training and training and training. I've seen this. How many of you are second-generation Christians? Can you raise your hand? Your parents are saved. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. It's a whole lot more than it used to be. I've seen, Brother Nick, one, sometimes in my own life, one pitfall of second-generation Christians is that because we grew up in a Christian home, we think that we already know it. And so we fail to read and listen and study. We just think we got this. I want to challenge you. I want to get a hold of some good material and, and, and let's train on purpose. I got to move here. Here you see that Abraham trained his young people and so that when the moment arrived and they were called upon, they stepped up. It didn't happen overnight. By the way, let's train our sons to be, as my dad used to say, warriors for God. We need more warriors in the battle. We don't need snowflakes. We don't need wimps. We don't need effeminate guys. We need warriors that step up. And when they're called upon to serve in the Lord's army, they're ready to go. We don't need keyboard warriors. We need warriors for God. We don't need Call of Duty warriors. We need warriors for God. We don't need Clash of Clan warriors. We need warriors for God. We don't even need political warriors. We need warriors for God. The, the Bible calls them strong in faith, 
mighty in spirit, men of valor, valiant men. But I'm going to tell you, those type of men don't happen by osmosis. They happen through training. I want to challenge us. Let's get a vision and let's train towards that vision. How about our daughters? Let's train our daughters to be virtuous Proverbs 31 ladies. Not divas, virtuous ladies. Not drama queens, virtuous ladies. Not prissy girls, virtuous ladies. Not beauty queens, but virtuous ladies. Not sexy models. And by the way, some of us, we send them out. Oh, it's cute. It's sexy. Keep that junk out of the church. Um, not, not, not sexy models. And by the way, it starts with the way the moms dress. But virtuous women. Not career women, but mothers. Not independent women, but help meets. Not women who express themselves to the world, but ladies that have a meek and quiet spirit. That doesn't happen by just existing in this society. That, that happens because we train according to the dictates of the word of God. Do you know what your children's weaknesses are? I could go through my children, and, and I'm sure that you've probably seen some weaknesses that I miss, uh, but I know my children's weaknesses. And by the way, they have plenty of them. And we're, by God's grace, we're praying and we're working. <laughs> we're working uh, on them. But do you even know, if I gave you a piece of paper and this pen right here and said, could you list your children's weaknesses? You might want to know so that you can train them in those areas. We must continually train the next generation. By the way, train them to be grateful and not whiners. Train them the value of work and to work hard with a good spirit. Teach them that life doesn't always go your way, but you still get up and go on with the joy of the Lord. Teach them to be content with what God's given them now. Teach them to say no to the world, the flesh, and the peer pressure, because one day they're going to be out of your house and my house. They're going to have to do that on their own. Teach them to walk with God and show them how. Teach them to serve in ministry and serve alongside with them. And I can go on and on and on. I want to encourage us. Let's train the next generation. I'm going to move quickly here. I'll take about... Uh, just a few more minutes here. Number three, we must drive the fowls away that seek to hinder the vision. Let's look at chapter 15. Chapter 15, really quickly here. I am watching the time. Chapter 15. Verse number eight. Abraham said, he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He said unto him, Take me in heifer of three years old, and, and brother, uh, uh, the, the preacher, not brother Gray, he, he preached from this message. Good stuff. God called Abraham here to give a sacrifice, and God was going to talk to him about the vision. Look at verse number 11. When the fowls came down upon the carcasses, this was the sacrifice, Abraham drove them away. You ever go fishing? And uh, this happened to you guys this past week, right? Where's Ben? Somewhere around here. Um, you, you cast it, man. Uh, you, you cast it out, and before it gets down, you're, you're going for the big fish, right? No, no one goes fishing. Let's be honest. You came back from fishing, and you're like, what did you do? Oh, I caught 15 crappie. I, I caught 13 bluegill. And nobody goes out to catch crappie and bluegill. Let's just be honest with ourselves, right? But you, you act like it, was a, like, like it was a trophy because that's all you caught. I know. I've been there. But, you know, you go out there, and what happens on the way down to the big fish? What happens? You got these little four-inch stripers that clean you out. You know what I'm talking about? You go deep sea fishing, Brother Rob, and you try to get past the mackerel, right? If you don't, what is the mackerel going to do? It's going to swipe your anchovy. It's going to swipe your sardine. It's going to swipe your bait. And then you miss the tuna. You miss the good stuff you're really going out after, right? Same thing is true. When God calls us to sacrifice and, and put something through, you know there's going to be, just like those little nibbler fish are going to try to take your bait before you get the good stuff. And you lay it out and you say, God, here it is. Take my family. Take my life. I want to see you do something, not just in this generation, but generations to come. Expect the fowls to come down and try to take your sacrifice. I won't develop it because the preacher, he did a, did a tremendous job at doing it. 
It might be family. By the way, normally it's good intention people. And they might come to us and they say, well, nobody does it that way. Ah, you're a little too strict. You know, you could live differently if you just, you'll get over it. Ah, your standards are too strict. They came to Brother Board when he was going to go to Cambodia. I'm sure he shared this probably a dozen times. They said, what? They said, you're going to waste all the talent that God gave you in Cambodia? Thank God he didn't let the fowl steal a sacrifice. Next, number four, I'm just going to give this to you. Stay faithful during the death of a vision. Uh, if you look at Joseph, you look at Abraham, you look at all throughout the Bible, there was a death of a vision. There was a time where it looked like it died. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. I'm going to skip that one for sake of time. Realize we're never too old for God to change us for the sake of the vision. You say, man, I'm 35. I know you're old, right? You might as well get a cane, right? <laughs> Benjamin Franklin said this. By the way, seven, uh, chapter 17, verses 2 to 6, this is where Abraham is 99 years old, and God changes his name. Brother Raul, it's like if God came to you tonight, 400-foot Jesus came into your room, and you're no longer Ryan Raul, you're Bill Raul, all right, or Abraham Raul, right? Changes his name, 99 years old. Right? You're never too old for God to get you to change your path in the middle for the sake of the vision. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said this, many die at 25, but they aren't buried till 75. He also said this, he said, hopes and dreams often die at 35. So assuming no major life changes, is there really a difference between dying at 35 and 75? I don't want to live from 35 to 75 just existing. No, God, give me a dream, give me a vision, let me pursue that thing with my life. Next, number seven. Now, now number six, we must allow, uh, we must remove anything from life that would stand in the way of the vision. If you want to write it down, 21, 9 to 14. You know, we think about Abraham sacrificing how many sons? How many? God called him to sacrifice how many sons? How many did God really call him to sacrifice? It's actually two. If you remember, when Ishmael was 13 years old, God came to Abraham and he said, send him out. You're, you're probably never going to see him again as long as you live. And that really broke Abraham's heart, Right? I mean, that was his son. He assumed God would use Ishmael as part of the vision. He said, no, you're going to have to send him out so that Isaac can be part of the vision. You say, what are you saying? I'm not saying send out the kid you don't like. So that the, no. Uh, you know, sometimes God asks us to sacrifice that which is good so that we can see that which is great come to pass. I, I don't have time. About two minutes left. What are some good things in life that are hindering a multi-generational vision in your home? You might want to cut some time behind the television screen. Is it a sin to watch television? No, I mean, if there's a sinful show, of course. But is it a sin to watch television? No, not really. But it might be something that's okay, that's robbing time that you could be investing in the next generation. How about your hobbies, man? Normally it's the men. Got on the ladies a little bit. How about the men? Normally, it's our hobbies. Nothing wrong with having a hobby. Jesus came apart, and he relaxed. He rested with his disciples often. But there might be some things that we might need to give up that are good so that we can see that which is great. Number seven, I'm moving. We must command our household after us. What is that? Sorry, Brother Paul. I set the tone. I lead the way. I'm not going to tell my kids to do something that I don't do, right? they got to see me lead. Next. I'm just going to move here. Number nine, and I'm done. The realization of the vision. Let's look at chapter number 24. Chapter number 24. Man, I read a great article today I wanted to use about a 
a general in Ukraine. I'll share it briefly while you're turning there. Genesis chapter number 24. And uh, it was last summer, not taking sides on the war, but last summer, uh, it looked like the Russian forces were going to come in. How many days did they say till they took over Ukraine? Y'all remember? They said three days, right? They said, we will be in Kiev in three days. There's a general called the Iron General. Time Magazine did a write-up on him. And all the other generals said, hey, let's blow up all the bridges so that they cannot get into Ukraine. You know what that guy said? He said, not only are we not going to blow up the bridges, he said, I'm going to lead the way and I'll be there if they try to meet us there. He said, what did he do? Well, you know this. They never got across the bridges because they didn't make it that far. Because there was somebody that said, I know there are insurmountable forces out there, but I will take the lead, lead the way. We're not blowing up bridges. We're not throwing in the towel. We're not going to bunker down. (laughs) We're going to go on the offensive. And they made a big difference last summer because one person led the way and said, hey, follow me and see how it's done. Let's go forward even against all odds. By the way, there's a lot we could apply to our families there. Man. Next, the realization of the vision, and I am done. Thanks for bearing with us tonight. Chapter 24, chapter 24, verse number uh, 61. Does anyone know, how old was Abraham when he got the vision? 75 years old. 75. It's a couple of years older than me. He was 99 when God changed his name, and he still didn't have a son 24 years later. He was 100 when Isaac was born. He was 139 years old, 64 years after the vision that that Isaac was married. Look here, Rebekah arose, and you know here, and Isaac came forth from the way, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field. Look at verse 64. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. Next. Verse number 64, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, took Rebekah, and she became his wife. I want us to look at the next chapter. I'm wrapping it up. Chapter 25, verses 5 and 8. Look here. 64 years after God had given him the vision. It says in verse number 5, it says, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Look at verse number 8. And Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. An old man full of years and was gathered to his people. You say there came a point in his life, it took 64 years, where Abraham took everything that he had, and he said, I'm leaving this earth. He said, Isaac, it's all yours. You know, let's all stand together. We'll pray and dismiss. One day, and I mentioned at the beginning of the message, one day, we are going to come to the end of our life. One day, we are going to be called upon to leave that which we have to the next generation. And I hope that some things that we've said tonight will challenge us to not just exist, but let's get a vision for what God can do in the future. Let's train on purpose. And let's follow what God has for us in his word so that we can see generations. I'd love to see 64 years from now, I'll probably be dead. But those little ones right there probably be here still. There's a bunch of little ones around the church that would still be here. God willing, we still have a salty, bright church for generations to come. What's going to happen by the decisions and the choices we make right now. Let's be multi-generational families and multi-generational Christians for the glory of God and for the good of generations after us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word that teaches us. Pray you bless this brief invitation that we have here tonight. I pray that you'd help us to think not just about today. and Lord, help us to live today to its fullest. And God, help us to uh, invest ourselves in eternity and pour ourselves into the next generation. All you've called us to do But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to also look ahead to what you'd have for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you'd like to use this altar for some reason, God spoke to your heart. Maybe you just, maybe you lost the vision. 
And maybe while we were talking, God nudged at your heart and said, get it back. Maybe you never had it. Maybe you've never heard it clearly. Maybe you're new and, and, and you would get a vision. Get a dream board for your sons. Get a dream board for your daughters. Get a dream board for what God can use you to do in and through our church. Maybe you're a single. And you say, man, that's what I want someday. Don't wait till you're 25 and 30. Start right now. Start right now. By God's grace, let's see generation after generation after generation pleasing God and making a difference because of what God allowed us to do in this generation for eternity ahead for the generations behind us.